Right, right. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna begin first of all with um, appreciation for Mary for leading the worship this morning. Thank you, Mary, and for Mary Beth taking Sunday school this morning. Um, it's Mother's Day. For some people, that's a great joy. For some other people, it's a memory of a loss. But that's the one thing we all have in common. We all have a mother. We all have had a mother. And we've seen our mothers go through struggles and trials. We've seen them go through victories. Galena just got back from spending time with her mother. You know, um, Sherry spends time trying to take care of her mother. I, I can look around the room and I can see, I mean, I, I met Julia's mother in Peru. And I've just seen uh, the ministry of mothers, Mary Beth's mother, just recently taken from us. Um, you girls have your mother right there beside you. Isn't that awesome? That's awesome. Um, mothers, you know, we think about mankind being made in the image of God, and I just thought about um, mothers being made in the image of God. He made the male and female. But in some special way, mothers are made in the image of God. And then so I read this, this verse out of 1 Corinthians. Um, and this is not the message. It's just a little. Um, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. Love is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Blessed is the person that can put their mother's name in that verse Mm -hmm. and really say yes and amen to God. So, Father, we we just pause for a moment um, with believers all over this earth to give thanks for those who brought us into this world. Lord, we thank you for our mothers, a memory of our mothers. And if they're still with us, Lord, we pray that uh, we might honor them. Being made in the image of God and being the example and expression of God's love towards us. Thank you, dear Jesus. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Um, well, today is a momentous day. Not only that is Mother's Day. Today, we're going to finish Philippians 4. <laughs> we've been working on this for three years i know y'all have been so patient with me um and i thought about it paul wrote this letter you know some 19 2000 years ago and it's been preached on thousands of times most people finish faster I know, it's a short letter, so they finish quicker. But I've been thinking about it. This, this, this letter has been preached on thousands of times. And I was thinking, what was their major point? What was, what was the, the, the essence of this word that they wanted to... What was the grace that God had given in this word that they wanted to impart to their hearers? And man, that's a challenge. That is a real challenge. Because you don't want it to be ten hours long. <laughs> It's gone long, long enough already. Um, but I wanted to pick up the last couple of verses that we talked about last time. Um, but this is this is really the point, the highlights of this message: real peace, true contentment, a secret revealed, glorious riches. An ever-present grace. That's the content of this last half of Philippians 4. And as we were singing, Mary, I, I just couldn't help but thinking, Lord, I can barely take it all in, the blessings of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and his promises towards us. And then I was remember what I was going to think about. Real peace, true contentment, the secret revealed. Doesn't that kind of perk your ears up? Ah, there's going to be a secret. We're going to hear about a secret. Glorious riches. Well, who doesn't want to talk about glorious riches? 
ever-present grace. Ever-present, continuously available grace. Ever-present grace. Okay, here we go. Has anyone watched the political news recently? Because we're going to talk about peace and contentment. All right, so here we go. Stay with me here. If you watch the political news, news, you will like this verse. And I'm going to go back to verse 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Doesn't that just synchronize exactly with all those political commercials and stories you've been hearing? Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything, no matter who the candidates are. Oh, man, God, are you, are you serious? <laughs> but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, will, which surpasses all understanding, and believe me, peace in this situation will surpass your understanding. <laughs> This is, this is where surpassing understanding really has a good definition. That peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. <laughs> this is exactly what I want when I see watch the news. I want peace that surpasses understanding. I found that things go better... When I'm watching a new, when I watch the news, if I pray through the commercials, <laughs> is there anyone else here that wants your heart and mind to be guarded by the peace of God, especially yes. in election year? I mean, do you want this to rob your peace, to steal away your peace? This is exactly what God promises as the reward. For the believer who prays with thanksgiving to make the request be made known to God. He promises peace if you will pray with thanksgiving. Surrender the burden to Christ. He promises peace. There's no magical incantation for peace. There's no yoga pose that does it. There's no trekking to some far off mountaintop. Just prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Very simple. God promises peace. God's peace will guard and protect your thoughts and your emotions, your mind and your heart in Jesus when you're in steady communication with him. This in Jesus Christ means his grace, his presence and his power. And notice this word guard. This is what an army does when it protects you from uh, the invasion of enemy forces. It guards, it protects. And certainly, political world is not the only thing that can attack our minds and our hearts and our peace. It can come from anywhere. And God calls upon prayer. So this whole thing about peace with God, real peace, is was what has been preached on thousands of times from this letter. Of course, Paul was in a prison when he wrote this. And he had seen mighty miracles done in his earlier ministry. And he had been beaten and whipped. He knew pain and suffering and anguish. He knew victory. He knew triumph. And here he is writing, almost like his final words, pray with thanksgiving. God will give you peace. God's peace guards our hearts and minds like this. It's not... That we have peace only with God, but his peace greater than our understanding protects us from all anxiety. We believe this blessing. We receive this blessing by obeying God and by taking all things to him in prayer. Everything we take to God in prayer. It was such a joy to pray with Wayne and Jill was there too. Um, really, we would pray with anybody. You have a, you have a, a need for us to pray with you. We, we would love to pray with you. Uh, and we're anxious to see what God wants to do. In verse 8, we saw the eight things God calls us to think about. Things that he wants us to fill our minds with. And I'm going to ask, how are you doing with this? It's been four or five months since I gave that message. You got victory in those eight things? 
Remember? Remember what they were? Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is any thing worthy of praise, think about these things. You know, I've been speaking to Crossway this year. Our title has been Jesus Changes Everything. And believe me, you could you could talk about topics forever. Jesus changes everything. And, and one of the things I, I was telling the, the uh, Crossway team is Jesus changes, wants to change how you think. I mean, it's that detailed. I mean, he wants to change your emotions. When he says rejoice in the Lord always, he's speaking to your emotions. He's saying... I think you can change the way you think. I think you, you can change the way you emote. That's a pretty high expectation, isn't it? Did you know that Paul thinks you can change the way you think? You can change what you think about? That's Paul's expectation. But let me say this. Um, it's better if you don't... <laughs> You'll be do better at this, not if you concentrate on what not to think about. Like, don't think about the pink elephant immediately. <laughs> it's better if you take steps to fill your mind with the excellent things of Scripture. Because you've got to replace these other thoughts with what God says. So fill your mind with Scripture. It will transform your thinking. And yes, Jesus does have the authority to command us to think. This way, he has a, the authority to command us to rejoice. I mean, if your mother came in one morning and says, look. Sherry, you need to rejoice today. Mom, what? But Jesus has the authority. To command us to rejoice. And as, and as we were worshiping, I was just thinking, well, Lord. This is this is really big that you you tell us how we're to think and you tell us how we're to Rejoice, And we're to how to weep with others who are weeping. And how we're to bear one another's burdens. And how we're to speak about the glories of Christ. Lord, you really think we can just do it? And he says, well, no, you can't. But I've given you my spirit so that you can. He tells us not to be anxious about anything. To always pray, to always think in certain ways. Yes, yes, yes. This is right and good. And he has the authority to say these things to us. Your mind is more than a storage container for facts and figures. It's marvelously designed in the image of God. As an organ, as an ability to study and to know the facets of God's creation, to appreciate spiritual truth. Your mind is to consider values and choose wisely to express creativity, to make calculations, to innovate, come up with new ideas. Use it for these things. You know, Preston taught, shared with me, uh, he was thinking about this scripture when the Lord plopped in his, his mind about a feeding event. Thinking God's thoughts and suddenly they've produced 35,000 meals. For orphans in Zambia. You start thinking God's thoughts. There's no end to what he's going to give you to do. There's no end to what he'll give you to do. These commands to transform our thinking and emotions show that God has the utmost dignity for how he has made us. He made us rational, relational, Thoughtful creatures in his own image. But since we strayed from all that, he provides needed corrections in his word. He has such a love for us that he tells us what is best and what he expects for us. If he didn't care about us, he wouldn't give us this instruction. But he cares about us. He loves us deeply. And so he speaks directly to our mind and our heart, deep down into what we think about and how we express our emotions. You know, I was, we, Mary had a, has a crossroads staff meeting in her house. We had the staff there, maybe 15 people there. And she had these little slips of paper. And she says, write down your prayer requests. And so we wrote down our prayer requests and we stuck them in the basket. And after it was over, I said, Mary, can I read those prayer requests? She said, yeah. And I read them all, all 15 of them. 
Every single one of them asked God for help in the way that they expressed an emotion. Anger is at the top of the list. I know it is with me. But maybe with you too. If you were writing, God, these are the things I see you want to change in me. How many of them would be a way that you express emotion? Wow. And God speaks directly to how you express emotion. Because he has authority and he has wisdom. And he knows what's best. And he cares for us. He speaks to us in ways we can understand if we will just simply believe it. The problem is our hearts are rebellious and we reject his ways. But he continues to pour out gracious instructions through verses like these. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 1 Corinthians 14, 20 says... Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. Yes, God speaks directly to the way we think. And I, be, and I was thinking, thousands of years, people have preached on Philippians 4. And sometimes it turns into the power of positive thinking. And that's what not, I'm really getting to here. The specific areas that he talks about. are demonstrated in Scripture. And that is the safest, surest, most powerful place to find where we are to think. But let's go on. Verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen. Four verbs. Learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. You know, Here's another one of these command slash promises that Paul writes about. Many times he gives a command and immediately attaches a promise to it. Here's a command, but there's a promise riding right on top of it. It's not just a duty that has no reward. There's a command and there's a promise riding right with it. Here's another one. He says, practice these things, what you've seen in me, heard in me, and learned from me, and received from me, and the God of peace will be with you even while you watch the political commercials. Even when you check, balance your checkbook. Even when your kids or your parents are going through this whatever. He says that if you, you add to your prayer with thanksgiving two verses ago, if you add an obedience of action that conforms to what you see in Paul, then the God of peace will be with you. He says, put into practice these things that Paul has modeled. He explains that, and this is interesting to me, he explains that through prayer you will receive the peace of God, but through obedience you receive the God of peace. Did you, did you catch that? To me, this is, this, is a, this is a distinction that bears some thinking about. He says that if you... And I think, is this just a play on words? Peace of God, God of peace. Are they the same thing? Receive the peace of God through prayer with thanksgiving. You receive the God of peace through obedience to practice what you've seen in Paul. Is that a play on words? Peace of God, God of, God of peace? Which is, I hate to say which is better. Which is bigger? God of peace is bigger. Is he saying, well, prayer is important and you will receive peace that will guard your heart and mind. But obedience is you receive all of God. Not just his peace. Does that make sense? Why would Paul use those two things flipped around two verses apart if there wasn't a distinction to be made there to show you the value of obedience? To what you've seen modeled by Apostle Paul. I think it's valuable. We talk about how we want to draw close to God. Let's draw close to him by practicing what he has spoken for us to do. He couldn't have forgot what he had just written. 
So this is a call not only to think the way he wants us to think, not only a call to pray with thanksgiving, but a call to actually live practicing the way of life that flows from this very way of praying and thinking. So don't let your living be detached from your thinking and your praying. Whenever you think in a a fleshly way, you forfeit the life that God wants to bless. When by grace God comes into our lives, he is never content to wait out on the porch. He wants to go into the prayer closet and fix some things some change some things. He wants to enter and transform every room, especially our study, our library, our prayer closet, our family room, bedroom, kitchen. He wants to change everything. And he says, if you practice what you've seen in Paul, the God of peace will be with you. What could be better than that? Now, two of the next ten verses in Philippians are two of the most widely favorite, popular, memorized, written, putting on little screens and things you put around your house ever. Two of the next twenty. You're going to know which ones they are, but I'm going to talk about each one as we get there. Verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. I'll read it again. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now, this isn't one of those verses, the popular ones. It's not a put down. Some people read this, well, he's, he's, he's angry with them. They have not, only now they've revived their concern for me. They've forgotten about me for years. No, that's not that. It's not a complaint that it's about time you did something for me. He was writing from prison. And in the Roman prisons, no provision was made for them by the, uh, by the capturers, the guards. You know, they didn't provide food and clothing for the prisoners. He was entirely dependent upon family and friends to bring him food every day. Or every day that he was to eat something, he had to depend on his friends to bring him something. So he's truly grateful for this. But listen, in verse 11, now think, you're in a prison and you're entirely dependent upon others bringing you food and clothes. Then he writes, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Who here wants to be content? Is contentment still a goal? Is contentment still a lifestyle that you want to achieve for yourself and for others? So this isn't one of those verses either. One of those favorite ones that you see people memorizing. I have learned to be content. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. But I suggest it could be one that we all memorize. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Why don't we memorize that verse? Why didn't the church put that on billboards? And little things that you sell and give at Christmas time. Little plaques in the wall. I have learned that in whatever situation I am to be content. I mean, that goes against the American way. Suki, the American way is not about that. (laughs) It's about getting more stuff. Really, is, is this, is, this is really, for thousands of years, people have, have preached on Rome, uh, Philippians 4. And I'm thinking, okay, Lord. Paul is in need, has been in need, and will continue to be in need. He's in a prison. But that's not his focus. Listen closely to this. His focus is on learning to be content. Now, I'm sure this is not anyone's favorite verse. It's not your life verse. Nobody writes this one down on their, when they sign their signature. There is a great distinction between learning to be content and the never-ending pursuit of gain. More stuff. More popularity. More wealth. More time. More health. More followers. More anything. 
Some people say that the only reason that society progresses is people are trying to keep up with the Joneses. And that's the driving force of all invention, technology improvement is because somebody else is going to beat us if we don't do it first and we have to do it first to capitalize and make more money than they do. So let's, pro let's progress. And it's a sad commentary because I think, you know, that's, that, <laughs> that's really true for a lot of people. If there wasn't this trying to keep up with everybody else, would we really have the medical breakthroughs that we've had? Would people really have invented medicines? I don't know. So I'm, I'm, I, I like to progress. I like to pursue things. And right in the face, God is saying, well, you need to learn to be content. I'm saying, God, you've got to help me understand this. You've got to really help me understand progress and pursuit of excellence and pursuit of happiness. I mean, that's in our Constitution. The right to pursue happiness. And here's God saying, I've learned to be content. Okay. You, you, you understand the tension here? This, this is really intention. But you can pursue things and still be content. I know, but, but, but still... There, there has to be a recognition that you don't fall off the horse on one side or the other. But the, the place of content is what's key, and we'll see that here in a second. Paul's joy, because he spoke a lot about rejoicing in this letter, is not based on receiving their gift, which he so desperately needed. His joy was that he was content in Jesus. From the world's perspective, contentment comes from within oneself. One strives in one's own strength to become content. This is self-sufficiency in its finest. But for the Christian, true contentment comes from outside oneself, from Jesus Christ. His contentment, the Christian's contentment, does not depend on the situation he is in. Your contentment does not depend on the situation you are in. Sound like a foreign language. This is a huge statement. I don't know why this isn't one of our favorite verses. <laughs> and the next verse is not a favorite either. It goes on in verse 12. I know how to be brought low. What? I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. How can you know how to be brought low? Do you know how to be brought low? <laughs> I can see, is that on your to-do list? Every, every Saturday weekend to-do list. Learn how to be brought low. One hour. God does it for you. <laughs> it's, it's on his list. It's on God's to-do list. But I also need to learn how to abound. Maybe I could spend the rest of my life learning how to abound. Wouldn't that be great? But you see how equal focus he gives these things? Learn how to be brought low. And also learn how to abound. Why would you need to learn how to be brought low? It will humble you to know how to survive in those difficult situations. Why would you need to learn how to abound? So it won't corrupt you. So you don't lose who you are in the process of pursuit of gain. And what is the secret Paul has learned? What is the secret? To face prosperity and to face poverty plenty and hunger, abundance and need, being content in Christ. This is not self-sufficiency at all. This is Christ-sufficiency. The source of strength to experience contentment on either extreme of your situation is always found in Christ. You know, Raul and I have talked several times over his what's happened in this past year. Job and house and everything else situations in his life and Brother, 
I applaud you because you seem to have found contentment in Christ through all the bits of that. You know. And it's such a marvelous thing to find contentment when things are crashing down around you and people think, have you lost your mind? It's like Job's wife. Job, have you lost your mind? Curse God and die. (laughs) Or the other Oh man, things are going so great. You've been promoted to this new position and things are going to be wonderful from now out. But my contentment is in Christ. You see, this letter Paul wrote is brilliant. It is God's grace coming at you. Listen to these words that he shares. And union with Christ by faith enables you to endure with contentment things otherwise impossible. Loneliness, hunger, need, severe financial suffering. Jesus taught in John fifteen five that the branch can do nothing apart from the vine. But in Christ, we can do all things. We can both abound and we can suffer with contentment. While the world looks to itself to receive self-sufficiency, the Christian learns to Christ. And then the secret is revealed. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now this is one of the favorite verses in the world. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can become an NFL linebacker. Because God will strengthen me and that's on my heart to do. No. This, this, this verse is easy to memorize. It's uplifting. It's encouraging. But it's really the secret answer. It's a principle on which to stand when facing situations of plenty and hunger. It's a principle on which to stand to face abundance and need. The real answer is to rely on Christ to provide and protect, and to continue to follow his example. You remember in Philippians 2, a year ago, we talked about the humility of Christ, how he gave up the splendor of heaven and came to be born of a virgin and then marched on his life, perfect life to die on a cross. Paul is able to face all circumstances with contentment. And he wants to impress this lesson upon us. Face all circumstances with contentment in Jesus Christ because he can strengthen you. Jesus strengthens us for the things he calls us to go through. It's his choice, not our choice. He sets a road before you. He will strengthen you to do it. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Such a powerful verse. None of what I've said about the other verses takes away from the glory of this one. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Think about it. Okay, think. What is the difficulty in your life right now? What difficulty do you face right now? Did you know God is calling you through this thing? Maybe it's not of your own choosing, but you're 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 going to walk through it. Does this verse apply? I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. I think it does apply. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Verse 14. You can tell this is a letter. This is a letter written to real people. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. Do you hear the heart behind that? Do you hear the... The, the, the generosity and the gentleness and the appreciation flowing out of that phrase. It was kind of you to share my trouble. That would be a great phrase for us to memorize and use. When somebody has given something to you, when someone has come to help you do something, 
Someone has bailed you out of a situation. It was kind of you to remember my trouble. Oh, man. Think, that, think like that, please. Think that way. Remember to honor those who give to you. The Philippians were a generous people helping to fund the spread of the gospel way beyond their own city. These were some of the earliest supporters of foreign missions in the scriptures, the Philippians. Because they gave to send Paul out of Macedonia. They gave when he was in Rome. They gave him when he was in all these other places. This is what he explains next in verse 15. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So Paul is starting to list out all the different places they had supported him. And he recognizes the need. He recognizes the aspect of mutual exchange in a true partnership. He, call, he says, he didn't just say the, they're giving. He says they're giving and they're receiving. There's a real exchange going on here, a partnership. He recalls their continued faithful support. But he doesn't beg for more giving, does he? He doesn't say, if you put $1,000 in the plate, then God will make it up to you. He doesn't say that. He, um, but he seeks to recognize what God has done and blessed to them. Because in verse 17, he says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Now, if, anybody, if any of you think that God doesn't reward those who seek him, you got another thing to think about. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit with God. Because God rewards those who seek after him. Paul believes in the principle of sowing and reaping. Of God rewarding those who seek him. Yes, he is blessed by the gift. Let's see if we do it Oh, it's just a little crash. So. Yes, he's blessed by their gift, but he's even more blessed to know that God will do what God will do to bless the Philippians in their practicing and doing the things they saw Paul do. He knew that they would not only have peace with God, they would have the God of peace because their actions were pleasing to God. Verse 18, he says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. I'm just really amazed by this man who had nothing at this point. He was, maybe he was as old as I am. He's in a jail. He's preached to the, to the guards. He's preached to the members of Caesar's household. He's been whipped 39 times, five separate sessions. He's been shipwrecked. He's been lost at sea. He's been put in jail. He's been stoned. He's been beaten. And here he is writing about contentment mm-hmm. and rejoicing in the Lord. And this is the way you're to think. And this is the way you're to trust God. And, and, and it's not that I'm seeking you to give to me. I'm seeking to what God is going to do for you. And then comes the secret most favorite verse in the world. There's nothing not to like about this verse, except perhaps the notable offense in the last phrase. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Half the people in the world find offense in what that says. They're all about the first half. And my God will supply every need of yours. But the according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, they could, have, they could care less. How about you? 
the riches of God's glory in Christ Jesus. I mean, not only does he forgive us of our sins, not only does he accept us and adopt us into this family, but you become joint heirs with Jesus Christ and the riches of his glory. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory. What needs can be met in Christ Jesus? What needs can be met according to the riches and glory of Christ Jesus? What needs can he, can he actually meet? Is his bank account big enough to meet the need? Is his wisdom enough to provide the right direction? Is his power enough to open the closed door or defend you? I would say the needs that Christ Jesus can meet are anything that pertains to life and godliness in Christ. Anything needed to fulfill God's plan in your life. Now, he was speaking to the whole church there in Philippi. But I think he's speaking to individuals here, too. He knows that every blessing we receive, Paul knows that every blessing we receive flows from the riches of Christ in his glory. Every blessing we receive flows from the riches of Christ in his glory. Now, we could really contemplate this for a while. But it's safe to say there is no lack of anything that you would want in Christ that's not available in Christ. I have to, I have to, I have to add those distinctions because some people want to sin and that's not available in Christ. But the forgiveness is. The redemption is. And the grace and the power to avoid it is if you will make it yourself available to it. So he says, okay, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his, his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And this is the guy who had just said three verses before, I've learned the secret of being content in times of need, in times of poverty. You with me on this? Verse 19, he says, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And then verse 12 or 11, he says, I've learned the secret of being content in poverty. Same guy, five or six verses apart. You think he's forgotten what he'd written before? The contentment is in Christ Jesus, not in not in riches, not in man's riches, but in God's riches. Paul trusts God at all times when things are good and when things are bad. We should trust God to provide what we need in Christ, no matter the situation. Verse 20. And of course, he's just finished saying this and suddenly he turns into praise. His letter turns into praise. He's just saying, God's going to supply all you need according to his riches in Christ. And now I'm going to give praise to God to our God and father. Be glory forever and ever. Amen. You know, I've often heard it said that good theology leads to good, good worship. When you really see God for what he's done, you can't help but worship him. And that's what Paul, that happens to Paul right here. Verse 21, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Cool. The saints in Caesar's household. This guy that's going to have his head cut off. Those saints greet you in Christ Jesus. This is, this is, a, this is a personal letter. Written out of a, a man who has given himself to Christ. A man who had seen miracles done. Who had performed miracles himself. A man who had, who had proven his, 
had a proven faith and, and commitment to Christ by his suffering. A man that had been radically changed from being a persecutor of the church to a lover of the church. This guy was one writing these words. And then the last verse. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. You know, every letter that Paul wrote ended with a verse similar to this. Philemon 1.25, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Identical to Philippians 4. Galatians 6.18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Brothers, amen. 2 Timothy 4.22, the Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. 2 Corinthians 13.14, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And then even John gets into it in Revelation and he writes, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. He concludes these letters with grace to you. Every single time in all of his letters. But if you don't stop there when you're thinking about, well, that's pretty coincidental. Because he begins every letter with this sort of statement. Like even in Philippians chapter 1 verse 2, he begins with, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot about grace at the beginning and at the end of all of Paul's letters. So let's consider grace for just a, as a final thing here. What is grace? Grace is the freely given unmerited favor of God. Principally demonstrated by God saving sinners. And bestowing his riches upon them. And bestowing his riches upon them. Undeserving sinners. Receiving salvation and the riches of God. Isn't this what he just wrote? God will supply every need of you sinners. According to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Grace is God providing to us what we don't deserve. Simply put. Every time you hear the word grace. Remember. God providing what I don't deserve. The first thing we understand about grace is what it's not. It's not something that we merit. And if we only learn this about grace, it's a good start. Grace is unmerited. And Paul and others repeatedly proclaim and pray for the grace of the Lord Jesus to be with us. But it's more than just a habit. It's more than just a phrase he tacks on the end of all of his letters. At the beginning of these letters, he says grace to you. These, these very, he's saying these very words that you're getting ready to read are an expression of God's grace coming to us. All that sink in a little bit. The very words that he, when he says grace to you, he's saying that the words you're getting ready to read is God's grace coming to you. The word of God being revealed to you is God's grace being poured into your lives. His words are life. And as the words of life come to us, it's God's grace coming to us. So these words are God's grace coming to us at the beginning of the letter and staying with us when we finish reading the letter. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you, continually be with you. Everything you do from now on to the future, may the grace of God be with you. It's much more than a concept. These words are God's actual grace coming powerfully into our hearts and minds. And you've heard the acronym for grace, G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. Now, would you be content with that? With God's riches at Christ's expense. Would that help you be content? Having the grace of God being with you? From this moment forever? Is there any reason to not be content if you have God's grace coming to you and being with you?
So we talked about the peace of God through prayer and the God of peace through obedience. We've talked about Paul seeing the goal of contentment, the beauty of contentment and the secret of contentment is being strengthened in Christ. The promise of of being supplied for all of our needs through the riches in Christ Jesus. And that grace coming and being with us in Christ Jesus. People have preached this for thousands of years. And those who receive it receive God's grace. Let's pray. Lord, open our hearts and quicken them to receive the grace of God in these in these scriptures. Lord, you cover so much territory so quickly about having peace. About facing difficulty. In every situation, in every circumstance, with contentment in Jesus Christ. Lord, what a victory it would be if your people could find contentment in Jesus Christ. And that victory is is waiting for us. Lord, may you establish it within us as we pray and as we obey you. And Father, this whole idea of what we can do because you strengthen us, let us not sell that too short. Lord, let us not give up on that. Let us never, ever quit on those that, that grace of God coming to us. Lord, anything you choose for us, individuals, as families, as a church, Lord, we pray for your grace to strengthen us. We pray in Christ Jesus that we would be made strong. Lord, we pray that in Christ Jesus that you would supply all of our need according to your riches in glory again in Christ Jesus. And Lord, we thank you We pray with thanksgiving in in our hearts, Lord, for the mighty grace you've given us. And Lord, earlier I I just asked about any particular situation or need where we we sought your strength. And Lord, I pray for those here and, and those apart from us today. May we be vessels of your grace to be an encouragement, to be a, a bearer of burdens, a lifter of souls, Lord. May, Lord, we, we find rejoicing in the midst of uncertainty, uncertain times. Lord, may you, may you help us and give us the light of Christ to shine upon others. Lord, may we love them as our mothers loved us, as Christ loved us. Lord Jesus, we commit our way to you. And Lord, may your word continue to speak life to us in all of our situations. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.